Okay, this morning I have entitled my message, Majority Rules. How many of you have heard the word, this phrase, Majority Rules? Majority Rules, right? I remember every time, you know, normally after church, me and my family would go out, eat somewhere. And sometimes when you're scouting a place to eat, my wife will always tell me, oh, it's not good food. I said, why? Look, there are only a few people inside. <laughs> but if the line is long, oh, masarap. Right? Or mura. But if it's empty, no, let's not go there. Right? So majority rules. So nowadays, you know, we always go by majority because that's how we were trained. Especially living in a democratic country, we always consider the opinion of other people, the opinion of the next person, uh, next person to us. Okay, unfortunately, majority is not always the best. Majority is not always the best. Okay, I'm reminded of, of a passage in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there is a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. So this morning, we will look at some Bible characters and we will learn how this principle of majority rules apply to, to us, apply to our spiritual walk with God. But before we go to that, I'd like to invite everybody to bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you. You are in our midst. We thank you that you are moving in our lives. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will prepare our hearts so that whatever words, Lord God, we're going to hear this morning, will sink down in our hearts, it will grow and bear fruit. And Father, we also lift up to you, Pastor Insong, who is now in Las Vegas. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that the, the resource or the mission that is there, Lord God, will be successful as he meet prospective leaders in, in Las Vegas for, our, for our, our CCF Las Vegas. Lord, I pray that you will open, make things um, work properly, Lord God, so that soon we can expand your kingdom in that place. I pray, Lord God, that you will protect them, him, his wife, and his family, Lord God, with your precious blood. And even our brethren who are not here this morning, you know where they are. I pray, Lord God, for your headship protection to be upon them this morning. Lord, we lift up to you the, the rest of the service this morning. Move in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a person in the Bible, his name is Jeroboam. And I'd like to invite you to open our Bibles if you have it with you. Otherwise, just, just depend on the screen. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we will start reading from verses 28 down to verse 40. Actually, we will be reading three chapters this morning. So sit back. Don't sleep, okay? And this is going to be an interesting story about Jeroboam. Now the man, Jeroboam, was a valiant warrior. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So we are introduced with a man named Jeroboam. And you know, hard work really pays. The Bible says that he was industrious. And because of that, Solomon has appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. Now, when I was researching on this, during the time of Solomon, he appointed 12 leaders or 12 governors to lead the different provinces or the different tribes of Israel. Remember when we were studying the book of Exodus, we were introduced to the 
12 tribes of Israel. Who are these 12 tribes of Israel? These are the children of Jacob to four women. Okay? And, and, and in here, we can see that the 12 tribes are already in place. And since they, they are ruled by a king, this king have delegated certain authorities to the 12 governors that he has in the different provinces or the tribes of Israel. It came about at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Anihab, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Anihab was clothed himself with a new cloak and both of them were alone in the field. Then Anihab took hold of the new cloak which was on him, and tore it into 12 pieces. Kind of weird, right? He has a cloak. He took it off and cut it into 12 pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself 10 pieces, and thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear down the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you 10 tribes. Okay, Solomon is now the king. And prior to Solomon, it was his father who ruled Israel. And you know his father? King David. So now Solomon took over the reign of being the king in Israel. But he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Actually, if you go through the different commentaries, okay, because the prophet said that 10 tribes will go to, to Jeroboam, okay, actually it's not only one tribe. They just use Judah as the tribe, but if you go to the other verses, the tribe of Benjamin decided to support Judah. So there are 10 tribes that went to Jeroboam, and the two tribes, which is actually Judah and Benjamin, remained with King Solomon. But in this passage, it only described the tribe of Judah. Because, what was the reason why God is doing this? Because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon, and they have walked in my ways, and have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. Why did God try to pull the ten tribes out of Solomon? Verse 33, it says, because Solomon has forsaken him and they started to worship what idols they started to worship other gods if we will recall in our study in the book of exodus worshiping other idols worshiping other god is something that god really hates and what is an idol an idol is not just a statue but an idol is anything that goes in between you your relationship between you, yourself, and God. Your idol can be a money. Your idol can be friends. Your idol can be your career. Anything that goes in between you and God is an idol. Let's move on. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose who observe my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom from his hand and give it to you, even ten tribes. But to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may have a lamb always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. I will take you and you shall reign over whatever you desire and you shall be king over Israel. This is the start when God 
restore or divided the kingdom of Israel from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom remained under King Solomon and the southern kingdom was given to Jeho, what's his name? Okay, so you're listening. Then it will be that if you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give to you Israel. Thus, I will afflict the descendants of David for this, but not always. Solomon sought, therefore, to put Jeroboam to death. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt. And he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So did you follow the story? Jeroboam was appointed as a governor or as a leader of the forced labor. Because at that time, Solomon was building the city of Jerusalem. He was building the temple, he was building the palace, etc., so on and so forth. So forced labor did not happen just now. Even during Bible days, they have forced labor. So Jeroboam was appointed as a leader. But then the prophet of God prophesied to him that he will become king to handle ten tribes. And because of that, it threatened King Solomon. Natakot siya. Because what? He will lose his kingdom. And that's the very reason why Jeroboam went to Egypt. Because he was afraid for his life. He was on self-exile. Now, let's move on. The death of Solomon... 1 Kings chapter 11, let's continue, verse 41 to 43. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and whatever he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? Thus the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David, and his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. David, Solomon, when he died, then the son Rehoboam took over Solomon's place. Okay, now from Jeroboam, he was just a leader, he is now promoted to king, King Jeroboam. But prior to that, we can see that the son of Solomon was now crowned the king of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 12. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made your yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. Okay, are you still following? When I was reading this one, medyo mahirap because... All their names ended with Boam. Right? This is not Joam, huh? Joam of Bogi. Okay, so we started with King David as the king. And then King Solomon became the king. And when Solomon died, his son named Rehoboam became the king. Jeroboam is a different person. He was the leader okay, of the forced labor. But because the prophet of God prophesied to him that he will become king of ten tribes, okay, Solomon wanted to kill him. And because of that, Jeroboam went to Egypt 
on as a self-exiled or a political asylum. Are you still following? Okay. So let's continue. Remember, five chapters we will read this morning. All of them will end with the word Boam. Okay. Then he said to them, depart for three days. Okay. So Jeroboam, then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. So Jeroboam, who was exiled in Egypt, came back. He went to the king, the new king, King Rehoboam. King Rehoboam, can you please lower the taxes? Can you please make the loads lighter for us? And if you do that, we will be your servants forever. Okay, that was the conversation between Jeroboam and King Rehoboam. Okay, you're, you're, looks like some of you are confused. Then he said to them, King Rehoboam said to them, Depart for three days, then return to me. So the people departed. King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who have served his father Solomon, while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer these people? Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and they spoke to him, If you will be a servant to these people today, and will serve them and grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. So King Rehoboam approached the elders and sought counsel. He said, what will I do? Can you counsel me what I'm going to decide on the petition that Jeroboam and the people are asking me? Okay. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and consulted with young men who grew up with him and serve him. So he forsook the counsel of the elders, but instead he called his drinking buddies. Okay, he called his drinking buddies to the palace. Hey guys, he consulted his majong partners. Right? He consulted his chismis partners. He consulted his shopping partners. Hey guys, come here. I need your counsel. So what happened? So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer these people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? The young man who grew with him, who grew up with him, spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to these people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now you have made it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What a counsel, right? Then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day. As the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. So on the third day, Jeroboam came back. To what? To hear what the king will decide based on their petition. Based on the request. And what was the request? Lighten the load. Because at that time, they, King Solomon started the forced labor and they paid their taxes to the imperial Jerusalem at that time. Okay. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. And my father disciplined you with whips. But I will discipline you with scorpions. Wow. 
Wow, what a decision. Right? Instead of getting the what? The sympathy of people, he even spoke harshly to them. Ang yabang. And he told them, if my father disciplined you with whips, now I will discipline you with scorpions. You know what? The king sought counsel from the elders and the young men, but he never sought counsel from God. So guys, friends, if you are in some decisions that you're going to make, seek counsel from the Lord. Seek counsel from the Lord. So that started that the kingdom of Israel was divided from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. So let's move on. We are now in 1 Kings chapter 12, but we will start from verse ni verses 19 to 20. So Israel has been in rebellion. Because of that, the people rebelled against the government. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. It came about when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, that they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. None but the tribe of Judah, that included the tribe of Benjamin, followed the house of David. Because of the king's decision, Israel rebelled against the government. And they have appointed Jeroboam to become their king. This was the start when the kingdom of Israel was divided from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. Now when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 of them, chosen men, who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So they rebelled against who? King Rehoboam, and they have appointed another king, King Jehoram, Jeroboam to become their king. Ten tribes went with King Jeroboam and two tribes remained under King Rehoboam. Verse 25, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there and he went out from there and built Penuel. Now, you know, in the olden days, Israel would go to their Jerusalem, which is the city of God, and they would worship. They have an annual celebration, an annual holiday, probably, that they go there and worship. Because Jerusalem was a city appointed by God. If you recall from the previous verses that we read, God said that Jerusalem is going to be my city. So there was this annual thing that they go to Jerusalem to worship. Now Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. Because when Israel was divided, Jerusalem still became part of King Jeroboam. And, Jehor and Jehor Jeroboam said that if my people will do their pilgrimage in Jerusalem, he said, what will happen? Then the king might win the hearts of the people. Okay? So if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, then the hearts of these people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, Rehoboam king of Judah. So we can see here that selfishness and greed started to creep in the heart of King Jehoroboam. Because if the people will go to Jerusalem, they might again be enticed to go and support King Rehoboam. And he doesn't want that. So the king consulted. He made consultation again and made two golden calves and he said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, 
that brought you out from the land of Egypt. So that the people will not go back to Jerusalem to worship, what he did was he made two golden calves. Remember in the book of Exodus, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai? Okay, what did Aaron, Miriam, and the priest did at the time? They made what? Golden calves. Now his intent for to himself was good. Wag na kayong lumayo. Don't go there for pilgrimage. We will have our local pilgrimage here. But what did he do? Instead of pilgrimage, what? Worshipping the true God. He created two calves, golden calves, and told them, this is your God. This is the one that brought you out, out of Egypt. So you follow? He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. So there was a parallel feast that he had. And he went up to the altars. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the two calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, so if you were following, okay, he instituted the, a localized feast. And it was similar to the feast that was being done in Jerusalem. However, this was a counterfeit feast. Why? Because they were worshipping the golden calves. Okay. In the book of, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, it says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who entered through it. For the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. We can see in Matthew that Jesus, in, in, when he was delivering the Sermon on the Mount, this is actually towards the conclusion. And he was telling the people that there are two gates, there are two ways. The wide and the narrow gate. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who are very brilliant. They have now created the middle road. In Matthew, you just have the wide and the narrow. But many people, they have conceptualized, aha, another one, the middle road. Fox, there's only one road leading to heaven and one road leading to hell. Whether you, are, you think it's a middle road, it's still the wide road. Now, it says in Matthew that the gate is wide. Broad is the road, and it leads to destruction. On the other hand, it says, because it's wide, it's very attractive, many people easily find it. Small is the gate on the other side. And what else? Narrow is the road. But it leads to life. And the Bible says, few find it. 
how many ways are spoken of here? There's just two ways. No middle road. Because our destiny in life is only two. Either you go, all of us will have eternal life. But there's only two destinations. Whether you enjoy the smoking or the non-smoking. Right? Whether you go to heaven or you go to hell. And because of that, what are we supposed to do? The Bible says we need to enter through the narrow gate. Why? Because the narrow gate leads to life. In Proverbs, we read earlier that there is a way that seems right to man. But the end are the ways of death. And we may ask, what is the narrow gate? Is the narrow gate a literal gate that when you go in, you go in one at a time? Isn't it that the Bible describes heaven with pearly gates? And why all of a sudden it describes here that the gate is narrow? Okay, let's look into that. A narrow gate is not the physical gate that we're looking at. And in fact, we may ask, what is that narrow gate? Okay, why is it called narrow gate? Narrow gate because it is very restrictive. Why very restrictive? There is only one principle for you to be able to enter. says in John 10, verses 7 to 8, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Jesus further said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. Therefore, from John, we can see that who is this gate? This gate is Jesus Christ. Why is it narrow? Because it is only him. Jesus Christ is the gate for the ship. And we can see that we can go to eternal life. We can reach heaven. We can reach the presence of God only through what? Through Jesus Christ. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. So what is that narrow gate? That narrow gate is the way that leads to life. And who is that gate? The Bible says it is Jesus Christ. And it says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our way. Jesus is our way towards that narrow gate. That's why it is called a narrow gate. Why? Because it is very restrictive. There is only one way. There is no other way. Only Jesus. Romans 5 verse 8, But God demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us to go to Him. And then He will die for us. The Bible says that He died for us before we even 
or started to love him. In, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, it says, For there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. So we can see that there is only one way. There is no such thing as tamang daan. There is no such thing as matuwid na daan. Or even dating daan. Baku-bakong daan. There is only one way. And that way is an uncompromising path. Because the moment we rest our faith in Jesus, it is the start of our obedience to what Jesus is telling us. If we have faith in God, if we have faith in Jesus, then it is but proper for us to obey whatever He is telling us. That's why the gate and the highway is too narrow. It is very restrictive. You don't have time to turn to the left nor to the right. Why? It is restrictive. On the other hand, we see the white gate. Many of us wanted to use the highway, right? Because we know that it is faster. How many of you are using GPS? Okay, we have different softwares now being used in our GPS system. I use Waze. Why? Because in Waze, it leads you to the highway, but if the highway is traffic, it leads you to alternative route. But our Christian walk is not like that. There is only one way. Either you go the highway, the wide way, the wide road, or you go the narrow road. And what is the wide, the wide gate? You know, I used to be a rocker, and I love this song by ACDC, Highway to Hell. Okay. Let me read a few of the lyrics of Highway to Hell. You know what? Living easy, living free. You have season tickets on one-way ride. Asking nothing, leaving me be. Taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I would rather do. Going down, party time. Right? My friends are there. My friends are gonna be there too. I'm on the highway to hell. Okay? And it also says, no stop signs. No speed limit. Nobody's gonna slow you down. Why? Because you're on the highway to hell. We can see that we are on our highway to hell. We will notice that it's a crowded place. Your friends are there too. Your drinking buddies are there. And there's room for everyone. Whatever you want to choose, it's there. Okay, it gives you a lot of choices. Whether you abort the child, keep the child, or whatever choice you have. What other choices? You know, nowadays, you have all the choices in life. Even when you load gas, how many of you notice when you load gas, especially when you are in a hurry? It's kind of irritating. When you press the gas, what is the first question? Do you want a car wash or no? After that, are you using a credit card or a debit card? Right? And after that, what else? Are you a member of the rewards card or not? And then at the end, you want a receipt or no receipt? Last question. Okay, are you going to load 89? 91 or 87 there are a lot of choices in life there are a lot of choices 
But God is only giving us two choices. Whether you choose life or you choose death. Whether we choose the narrow gate or we choose the wide gate. Okay? What else? You have absolute right. It is my life. I have the right to do whatever I want. But with the narrow gate, you have no right. Why? Because you only have the right that Jesus gave you. Okay? The favorite song of some of you, I did it my way. You do things your own way. But with the narrow gate, what? It is very restrictive. We do Jesus' way. The wide gate, no need to change. Oh, I am already born again. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I don't need to change. But with, but with the restrictive or the narrow gate, I need to be a disciple of Jesus. I need to be Christ-like. With the white gate, it's fine. I'm already a Christian. You see, it says on my shirt, I am a Christian. You see the bumper sticker on my car? Follow me to church. Stickers doesn't make you a Christian. But if you are really a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus. And what? You follow Christ's likeness. Amen? And in the wide highway, it always follows logical way. Surprisingly, with the narrow gate, God does not follow certain logic. Because if we follow logic, there is no more faith. What we need to enter into the kingdom of God is faith. It's faith. Even though it sounds crazy, but that is God's way. That's why it is called restrictive way. Amen? Now, what are other people doing? Because a lot of us wanted to stay in the highway. First, we think that good works will save us. Let me tell you, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through what? Does it say through CCF? Does it say through the knowledge of everything in the Bible? Does it say through your profession? It's only by faith. And even faith that we have, when we get to know the Lord as our personal Lord and Savior, it is a gift given to us by God. And all we need to do is exercise that faith. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is what? The gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so it is by grace that we are saved, not of our good works. Not even because of our looks, not even because of, of our profession, not because of money, not for anything else. It is only by faith. Amen? Some of us think that for me to go to heaven, for me to have eternal life, I need to make sure I follow the Ten Commandments. And you know, even the Ten Commandments, okay, the Bible says that if we commit one mistake, we are guilty of the rest. Because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, 
know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by what? By faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. We will be frustrated if we aim to follow the law. Because what? We are still in our sinful nature. And our sinful nature wanted to do other things. And we just cannot do it. And the good news is, because we cannot do it, Jesus came down to fulfill the law. Jesus came down to save us. Jesus came down to set us free. And what do we do? We compare ourselves to others. Lord, I am better than him. Right? In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, it says, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Even if your name is what? Perfecto? You still sin. And sometimes we even have our favorite sins, right? And we do it over and over and over again. And we go to God, Lord, please forgive me for what I did yesterday. And then the following day we say it again. Lord, you know my prayer yesterday. It's the same. Why? Because we cannot do it. James chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one, one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. God does not categorize sin as light sin, grave sin, venial sin, or cardinal sin, or whatever. But what? Sin is sin. If you sin, it will become a lawbreaker. And some of us well, even, oh, I will just pray to God three times a day. I will pray every day so that I can go to heaven. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, our sins have separated us from God. And because of our sins, the Bible says, he has hidden his phrase from you that he will not hear. Even if we memorize all the prayers in the world, if we are living in iniquity, the Bible says, God will not hear our prayers. So what is the solution? Our solution is what? Enter through the narrow gate which is only on Jesus Christ. No one else. And sometimes you would think, I will make sacrifices. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than fat of rams. Whatever sacrifices we do, even if we walk kneeling down in church, that sacrifice is nothing. Obedience is what matters most. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, What's the next? We start to obey 
that Jesus is telling us. Music by Von Jovi. He said, it's my life. He said, and it's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's a carefree life. Don't bother me with those narrow things. Why? It's my life. It's my own business. I can do whatever I want. Are we in this situation? Sad to say, if we th we're doing that, we think it's right, we might be on the wide gate. We might be cruising along a wide highway. It's your life. I can do whatever I want. But God is giving us a warning this morning. Jeremiah 6.10, it says, To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. They find no pleasure in it. Some of us are just like this creature. We cover our ears. We are not listening to the warning. It's easy to enter through the wide gate. You can always see it. It's very attractive. But this is the warning. We might be cruising through the wide gate and later on find out that it leads to destruction. Just like what happened to King Jeroboam. His intent was good. We'll just have our worship service here localized. We will just do it here. But in the end, what happened? Because of that, he brought sin into the nation of Israel. When the prophet of God came to him and told him that he's going to lead ten tribes, there was already a warning given. He said, if you will walk in my statutes. And the problem is, he did not walk in the statutes or the things that God wants him to do. He had his own way. Many of us sometimes will start good in our Christian life, but in the middle, Oh, I don't want this narrow gate. It's very restrictive. Anyway, it's my life. Let me go to the wider way. Let me go to the wider way. I encourage you to seek through the narrow gate, to seek through the narrow road. One thing nice with the narrow road is there are a lot of bumps on the way. We will discover that Christian life is not a bed of roses. We will discover that there are a lot of restrictions being a Christian. But the good news, good news is, Jesus said, I will be with you. The mere presence of God in our lives, the mere presence of God as we go through that narrow gate is enough for us to be inspired to continue to walk through the narrow gate. In the book of Psalms says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For what? For thou art with me. Thy rod and the staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff represents God's discipline. It comforts us. Why? Because we know 
we are on the right path because we know that God loves us. And as our Father, He will not allow ourselves to be misguided or misdirected. And it further says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely, the hand of God will follow us. The hand of God will lead us as we walk through that narrow gate. Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. There are only two choices. God is presenting us two choices. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. It's easy to serve in the wide gate or in the wide road. And it's difficult to serve in the narrow, narrow road. However, with Jesus in our hearts, with Jesus with us, even though it is very narrow, we enjoy life with Jesus. Amen? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. With that said, what is our response to God? God, am I going to walk on the wide gate by myself? Or God, I decide to walk with you on that narrow gate. The decision is yours. But Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Did you learn something this morning? So it is always a choice. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. And we know that you are always with us. Lord, we ask that you guide us in all our steps. Help us, Lord, to always choose the narrow gate, to always choose the narrow path. It's bumpy, but we know that you are with us. And the mere fact that we have your presence in our lives will inspire us to move on, continue the journey. Lord, allow us always to be mindful of, our, of your presence in our lives so that when hardships and difficulties come, Lord, we will not consult with anyone else but you. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, for those who have not known you as their personal Lord and Savior. It is my prayer and desire that they will find the narrow road, the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord God, for everything that you have done. And Lord, we know that apart from you, we are nothing. We commit our lives to you. We commit the rest of the week to you, Lord God. And may we always be mindful, Lord God, that to make the right decision because I know every day the enemy is offering us a lot of choices. But allow us, Lord, to always make the right choice. The choice of following you. The choice of obeying you. Thank you, Lord. This we pray, Lord God. And we pray that this week is going to be a week of favor. 
this week is going to be a week of blessing. A week of blessing because you will be able to share your goodness to other people. Allow us to become a beacon of light to our office mates. Allow us, Lord God, to be a beacon of light to the people around us. Lord God, even as we depart from this place, we ask, Lord God, that you will be with us and we ask for your headship protection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we do, as we do every Sunday, we present to you some questions that you can discuss during your discipleship meetings or probably uh, in your Bible studies. So the first one is from today's message, which path you believe you are treading on and why? Second one is, have you ever found yourself in a compromising situation because of your obedience as a result of your faith in Jesus? Would you like to share? Probably a good example is about relationships, ethical conduct, living a holy life, and others. And faith in Jesus is only the requirement to salvation. Do you sometimes feel that you need to add something to earn anything to have eternal life? If so, what are they?